I'd like to pray with you for a moment as we look into God's Word. Let's pray together. Just moments ago, Lord, I heard someone pray, and I'm going to kind of borrow their thoughts. In a world where so many people are shouting their version or their understanding of the truth, and we're quite confused by (laughs) what to put our trust in, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a very specific revelation of who you are, your nature, your plan, your provision, all that you have provided for us. And so as we consider your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. We know you long to. So we pray there's this openness beginning in my life, but in each life, to what you would have us hear, what you will have us allow to soak deeply into our life in a transformative way. So we invite you, Father, now to speak in these ways. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 7. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Use your hard copy like I like to do, or if you like to use your device, feel free to do that as well. We're in the midst of this series, When God Leads the Way, and we're looking at how as they went through the wilderness and were brought out of Egypt, I think we're just echoing a little bit here. I think maybe we just need to turn it down just a bit. Um, God had these opportunities for them. And we're kind of looking at it in a parallel way how as we're going through the pandemic, what are the opportunities? And I think there's many of them that God is providing. Are we, in, are we stepping into those? Or are we kind of following the pattern of the children of Israel, which we really don't want to emulate? And so we're continuing the stories. This is number eight in this series in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring him out, I will bring out my divisions, my people the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. This is the second time we read what on the surface seems like very extreme language from God. We can read this in chapter 4, verse 21, where God says a very similar thing. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. When you read these things, or when some people read these things, 
it can suggest on initial examination a very ugly picture of God. Several questions can come to mind quite naturally. Does God enjoy making people suffer? He hardens their hearts so he can punish them. Is he sadistic? We hear many people suggest these kinds of things. They'll suggest, is God an unfair judge? He's the reason that their hearts are hard, so why should they pay for it? Is everything rigged? Does God just take over people's will so that they have no choice? And this suggests a whole line of thinking that revolves around something we call systematic theology. And in today's story, what we're going to find very clearly, does God enjoy making people suffer? No. Does God just use people to get his way and then discard them? No. Is God an unfair judge? No. Is everything rigged? Absolutely not. We can read, for example, in the book of Romans in chapter 1, it tells us that everyone has within them a God-given stirring. And they may not understand what it really means, but it's very plain inwardly for them. And they look and they see in the creation and they come to the conclusion there is something or there is someone out there that's caused all this to be. Something or someone that is eternal, that created all that we see. What is it? Or who is it? They understand that this something or someone is powerful. Much more powerful than we are that is creative, much more creative than we are, that is logical, that gives them a sense of right and wrong. Every human society has a sense of right and wrong. Where does that come from? Where does all of this come from? And God stirs within human beings, and it typically comes in waves, and it comes at different points in life. And they make a choice about this something or this someone, in which they say, I am curious about this. Or as the most common approach typically is they reject that prompting. And I would argue it's because ultimately they don't want to answer to that something or that someone. And even though it keeps coming back to them in waves over and over again, they make that choice. And yet God persists. We hear and we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He's so much more patient with us than we would ever hope to be. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It says in 1 Timothy 2, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved 
and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It says in the book of Acts chapter 2, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's God's desire that no one should perish, that everyone should be saved, that everyone should repent of their sin. This is his default position. And there are not two camps where some will and some absolutely can't or won't be allowed to. And today's story illustrates each person is given the opportunity to say yes or no to God. In the book of John, chapter 15 and 16, we're told that the Spirit of God draws people to Christ. And again, people are either giving God the straight arm or allowing that prompting to continue to draw them. And if there's ever any level of curiosity, God will nurture that and feed that. Today's text is a classic example of this, but it comes with an extremely serious warning that every time we say no to God, it becomes that much easier the next time to say no to him. And our hearts begin to harden. Every time we stubbornly or selfishly refuse his nudge, it lowers the threshold next time as to whether we'll accept it or reject it. We are going to read that God does harden Pharaoh's heart, but the fact is before God does that, Pharaoh has already hardened his heart at least seven different times over a period of time, in the face of overwhelming evidence in the opposite direction. He's given time to think it through, and he makes a series of very deliberate choices. The first time we looked at last week in chapter 5, where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let God's people go, or you will face plagues or the sword. And Pharaoh responds in chapter 5 and says, Who is this God of yours? I don't recognize him, and I'm certainly not going to obey him. We talked about last week that Egypt had a, a multitude of gods that they worshipped. Some suggest as many as 80 different gods that they acknowledged. Pharaoh was seen as one of those gods. He had markings that stipulated this on his garments. And he was used to people worshiping him. And we talked about the battle that was set up between the one true God, the God of the Bible, and the man who would be God. By the way, that is a battle that every single human being fights. And I would argue this is one of the reasons so many ignore the nudge of God. So many reject the nudge of God. It goes right back to Genesis 3. I want to be God. You want to be God. And the battle is set up between the one true God and the man who would be God. Each one of these gods that the Egyptians subscribed to were responsible for different parts of things that went on in the nation. 
And the plagues that we're about to read about were a direct attack on the power of those gods in the different areas. They were seen as a dramatic illustration by God to the people of Egypt and Israel and Pharaoh of who the real God is. In fact, it says in chapter 12, God says, I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. Let's begin to track this. Turn to chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. We're going to see the second time that Pharaoh gives God the stiff arm. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff, throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts, either through sleight of hand or demonic empowerment. They did this. Each one throws down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. So this is a fairly low-grade, miraculous, supernatural happening, but it's a confrontation between the God of the Bible and the God of this world. And God clearly wins. Pharaoh wouldn't listen. Third time, chapter, again, chapter 7. And I encourage you to read all of these verses. We're not going to be reading all the verses. I'm just going to be picking some of the verses. Beginning in verse 20, the third time, Pharaoh says no. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord instead. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart, didn't think about it, didn't Consider the implications of this. And all the Egyptians had to dig along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water in the river. And seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. God let them think about it for a full week. God let them smell it and see it for a full week. The blood in the Nile is a direct attack on two of the gods of Egypt, Apis and Isis, gods of the Nile. And God gives them this time to think about it and to take it to heart. And Pharaoh refuses to do it. Chapter 8, this is the fourth time, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they will worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. And pretty quickly in verse 8, the country gets covered 
in frogs. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Okay, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle the blood. I can't handle the frogs everywhere. I've eaten enough frogs' legs. I'm full to the brim. Please tell them to take the frogs away, and I will let your people go. Verse 12, after Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that they were, there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. He can smell it. He can see it. Will not. Will not listen. During the pandemic, has there ever felt like, has it ever felt like a personal plague has been visited on you? I don't know what your story is, but I've heard a lot of stories in the last year. I've experienced a lot of stories in the last year. And many people are feeling like there's a personal plague. Maybe, and this might be only one possibility, but maybe in the midst of that, God is trying to get your attention. Have you ever made a promise to God didn't keep? It's exactly what Pharaoh does. Have you ever made a promise to God keep? The fifth time. Chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, he's not getting the message, go to Pharaoh, tell him these things. Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this, and when Aaron struck out, stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats, but when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not, and the gnats were on men and animals. The magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. The God of the desert was set, and his responsibility was to protect the land from an invasion of insects. Pharaoh calls on his magicians. They try to replicate it through, again, trickery or through demonic empowerment. They cannot do it. And they say to him, we had better listen, Pharaoh, because this is, this is the real deal. This is the finger of God, and you had better listen. Has God ever delivered a message to you from other people? Delivered one to you in this last year that you're refusing to listen to. 
Notice how we're going through these plagues. God is turning up the heat more and more and more. He does that. He does that because he loves us. Because he wants what's best for us. And when we stubbornly refuse to hear what he is saying and to step into what he's saying, you will continue to turn the heat up stronger and stronger. The sixth time, chapter 8, beginning in verse 21. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. That's where the people of God are, the two million plus Israelites. And I do this so that you will know that I am the Lord and am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. In other words, I'm, I've, I've carried through on all my promises before Pharaoh. I'm going to let you think about this one overnight. And it's going to happen at this time tomorrow. You can expect it. So Pharaoh has all night to think about it. And then in verse 28, Pharaoh says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. So he promises a second time to let them go. Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. We're just going to let them linger for a little bit, Pharaoh, just for a little while. But tomorrow they'll be gone. Pharaoh and his officials and his people, only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again. Don't lie to God a second time by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Pharaoh, Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Man, this is one stubborn dude. We can be stubborn people. Ray is the god of the sun who is represented by the fly in the mind of the Egyptians. This time God sends them to one part of the land, but the land of Goshen, a prime subdivision close to the Nile where there's two million plus Israelites don't have the same experience. He promises to let the people go. God warns them, don't lie a second time, but he still does. Seventh time. Chapter 9, verses 3 through 7. The hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock out in the field, on your horses and donkeys and camels, and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord again will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord will set a time, and tomorrow the Lord will do this in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died. 
but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Pharaoh sent men to investigate and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding, and he would not let the people go. This plague made a mockery of the god Hathor, a goddess with a cow's head. All the Egyptian livestock out in the field dies. Israelites in the land of Goshen is spared seven times over a long period of time, certainly over a period of weeks. Some people suggest it was months, illustrating to Pharaoh over and over again who the true God is. Warnings from other people. He is stubborn. We can be The eighth time, chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on men and animals throughout the land. Have you ever had a boil? I had a really bad boil once. They hurt. But these guys get covered in boils. Can't imagine how much that hurt. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and festering boils broke out on men and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of all the boils that were on them and and all the Egyptians. But the Lord, now we see, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said to Moses. Nut is the sky goddess who proved powerless in this situation. And yet God is patient. Rather, it's, I, I got the wrong God here. There's so many of them. It's Sekmeth who had power over disease and over boils. But again, God hardens the heart of Pharaoh. Some have people have suggested and they've tried to take a run at what this really looks like. I don't really see a definitive answers, but some of the some of the suggestions have been that the hardening had not might not have been so much active by God, but rather God simply withdrawing His sort of general common grace and abandoning Pharaoh to his own rebellion. This is really the way you want it, Pharaoh. This is not my heart for you, but if this is really the way you want it, I'm going to let you have what you so abundantly, desperately want. And I think we see signs of this in North America, where God is saying, I've been with you, but you keep pushing me away over and over again. And if God begins to retract that sort of common general grace, that prevents us from blowing ourselves up. I don't know where it might go. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Maybe it's just that God allowed Satan to have an even more free hand in the life of Pharaoh. But either way, after numerous chances, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Something we don't like to hear. We like to emphasize the fact that God is a loving God. He absolutely is perfectly loving, he's perfectly merciful, he's perfectly patient, but equally so, he's perfectly holy, 
perfectly just, and he is a righteous judge. He is patient, but he is a righteous judge. We see this at work in this story. Then there's the ninth plague, the hail and the storm. Not the sun goddess proves powerless here. We read about it in verse 20 and 21. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. They were warned, whatever is outside is going to die. You better bring them in. And there was some of the people that were getting the message in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh wasn't getting the message, but they were. And they bring their animals and their slaves inside. Verse 27, then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. He knows the right words to say, right? You come across people like that, they know the right words to say. But they're not sincere about it. This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right. I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. He does the fake repentance. He mouths the right words, but doesn't really mean it. And then changes his mind again for a third time. Third time. Verse 33. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out into the city. He spread out his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. Even after the hardening of his heart by God, at this point, he is still able to make the decision to sin. This is a choice he made. I won't, he said. After that, there's swarms of locusts and there's darkness, and Pharaoh is still saying no. Does God enjoy making people suffer? Does he just use people and then discard them? Is God unfair? Is everything rigged? Absolutely not. Not a chance. God has given this guy every chance. Every chance. Repeatedly. Over a period of time. He wouldn't listen to his own advisors. Wanted to go his own way. You ever find yourself resisting God's promptings? Has God been sending messages to you in this last year? Every time we say no, it becomes a little easier to say no the next time. And over time, our hearts begin to harden. And eventually, like this guy, we don't even think we need to repent. I'm above all that. I'm a special case. I don't need to repent. He repent? Are you kidding? And we say no and no and no, and our hearts become hard when we should be saying a resounding yes. And as I read this text, 
it's saying to me, Scott, where are you today? Where are you today, Scott? And I would suggest it's asking you that question too. Maybe you're online this morning or you're on site with us here. And your life is a disaster. Or maybe it's going reasonably okay. But you're not in relationship with him. You don't want to answer to him. You're not even totally sure he's there. But you, and maybe you haven't even been actively rejecting him. Maybe you've just been choosing not to think about it. Or every time that sense there's something out there, you, you pause and you, you just don't want to think about it. Or maybe you're at the point in your life where you've given your life to Jesus, but you know He's been showing you over and over again. There's a part of your life where he wants control. But you're refusing to yield. Every time you say no, or you put God off, it just gets a little easier to do it next time. Now the cool thing is, is God never gives up on us. It says in 2 Samuel, listen to this promise, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. No one hates the thought of you being separated in hell for all eternity from God. No one hates that idea more than God himself. No one has sacrificed more to ensure that that doesn't have to happen. The big question here is, have you given up on him? Because that's basically the definition of a hard heart. Doesn't just happen either. It happens over time. And the question this passage is asking is, what is the condition of your heart? Is there any question that God has been asking? And remember, it will always be a very specific question, not a vague one. What do I do with this? There'll be no ambiguity to it. It'll be very specific. It'll be direct. Maybe the question is this. Will I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ? And you're thinking to yourself, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. You may not have later. You could die tomorrow, or your heart might be getting so hard, you may not allow yourself to be open to God like this ever again by your own choice. And people that are here or listening online that are already in relationship with Christ, is God asking you to repent of something, to yield a part of your life? humble yourself. Don't take the chance of letting your heart become hard or distracted. If God has been asking you to do something through this pandemic, if there's been some kind of personal plague that he's using to tap you on the shoulder 
Come and talk to someone today if you're in the building. If you're online, email or phone in. Talk to someone. If you're in the building, don't leave and ignore that prompting from God one more time. Pastor Brian is going to be up here at the front. He'd be happy to talk with you. Let someone pray with you. Let someone be there with you and go on the journey. Who hardens?